Welcome to another episode of Politically Entertaining. I'm Frank here with Byron. And Byron, once again, we're back. We had a couple weeks off, but the news did not stop. So before we get started with the show, let the first-time listeners know, let the repeat listeners know what we're going to be talking about today and why they should listen every week. Man, that was like an understatement, understatement saying the news did not stop. But here on Politically Entertaining, we bring you news and politics up. We mainly created this show. We thought, you know, how can we get the news to people that don't follow it every day and try to make it entertaining for them? But we also like people that, you know, do follow news and just want to hear a different perspective. So we 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 try to provide that type of content for both type of listeners. Uh, We'll be discussing, of course, Comey. Of course, we'll be discussing him. We have a great guest and we'll also be discussing uh, Bill Maher later on in the show. Before we get into all of that. If the NBA finals are still going on by the time you hear this show, I, for one, am completely shocked. As we record this show, the Warriors are up 3-0 on the Cavaliers, and people have pretty much crowned them champion, and and it's a foregone conclusion. Even if Cleveland wins game four, at some point, Golden State is going to wrap this up. They are this super juggernaut team. The last three MVP awards have gone to Steph Curry and Kevin Durant combined. Frank, this is a team we've never seen anything like this, at least created. I mean, maybe the Celtics in the uh, 60s, I believe. But people are saying that this is bad for the NBA. LeBron disagrees. He said that, you know, it's good for the NBA. Some people are arguing that it is. How do you view it? Is it good to have a team so dominant that you can possibly see them winning the next four or five championships? Or is this is this bad? Well, I think it's good from a standpoint of you always need a villain. And, you know, par- pe- people will say parity is is a thing they want, but parity produces teams like, uh, you know, the New York Giants, for example, that haven't made the playoffs for like five years but won a Super Bowl in between that. And I say that because, you know, I, I follow the Giants. But parity is not it's not it's not good for for sports any more so than a dominant team. I think it's just a matter of preference. I think the NBA has always been top heavy. I think there's always been one to three, maybe at max four teams that can win a title in one given season. This year it looked like it was Cleveland and Golden State. Now clearly it looks like it's only Golden State. Uh, what I will say is, before we say hey they can win the next four, the next five, I mean the Heat looked like that too for a while. And then, you know, Wade got old, Chris Bosh got blood caught, and LeBron went back to Cleveland, and then Miami was gone, just like that. So I think that when we get all nervous about how long a team's going to win, things have a way of sorting themselves out. I guess I'm a little surprised at how so many people are acting like this is a new thing. The Lakers and the Celtics have won like a combined 48% of the championships in the 70-year history of uh, the NBA. So it's always been but a handful of teams that win these championships. Uh, but, you know, to see them sweep through the entire playoffs, assuming that they'll win tomorrow, uh, it has been remarkable to watch. Uh, but like you say, it, it creates this villain. So if they win the next two or three, imagine that feeling that it's going to be when if some team is able to knock them off. It's why we watch sports. It's why so many people remember that Super Bowl against the 18 and 0 Patriots against your Giants. Nobody gave them a chance. You know, miracles happen all the time in sports. So it's why we watch. And it's it's not bad for the NBA. As long as 
athletes continue to do incredible things, we'll continue to watch. Uh, and before I say, before we get into this, let's talk politics. Of course, it was predictable that a Kardashian would get blamed because Tristan Thompson is dating one and she's getting some blame for the Cavaliers losing. Now, with that said, let's get into some politics. Listening to Politically Entertaining, your Cliff's Notes to American Politics. And now, your host, Frank us again. and Byron. To subscribe. We're on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, as well as podcasts on Google Play. We're at a great price called Free, so subscribe for free. Tell a friend, have them subscribe as well, and check us out each week. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram under Politically Entertaining. We're also on Twitter at The Vocal Minority, D-A-V-O-C-A-L Minority on Twitter. Frank, we got a lot to discuss today, man. Um, we usually try not to touch topics that are well covered by the media, but this Comey thing is so large, I felt like we had to get our say-so in on this. Uh, former Director Comey, he testified today uh, before the Senate, and the main things that I got from this is, one, he flat out call your president of the United States a liar. The president and an administration are liars. And it's, it's one of the reasons why he felt compelled to keep detailed notes and try to remember everything that was discussed at their meeting because he felt like the president would lie on him. Uh, so that stood out. And also just how concerned Mr. 45 was with this Russia probe, because on Twitter, if you follow him on Twitter, he talks as though, you know, this is no big deal. This is nothing. It's just fake news media. Uh, you know, there's more important things going on. But behind the scenes, we really get a chance to see just how worried, how concerned and how fearful he is of this Russian probe and how he wants it to go away. And it and it won't. Uh, like I said, the media covered it heavily, man. But I, I did want to get our two cents on what were you able to watch? Because it, it was during work hours. But were you able to watch or catch any of the highlights of Mr. Comey testifying before the Senate? So I was not able to catch it live. I did um, this evening because people were talking about how, how incoherent John McCain was, which was bizarre because generally I actually respect McCain as far as his acumen and, and being, you know, thought thought through and well spoken. But he was almost rambling like a man. Um, as, as somebody alluded to my timeline on, on that bourbon, so to speak, and he, he referred to pre, uh, the Comey as President Comey. And, and it was, I mean, obviously he meant President Trump, but it was just bizarre. The line of questioning he was bringing Hillary Clinton into it when, you know, obviously Hillary Clinton, we know about that situation, but that has nothing to do with this particular thing. It was all over the place. But what I got from it, I, I did try to read some of the notes, was that you know, Mike Pence, who had tried to say, oh, yeah, I didn't know anything about it. He was he's very he's also complicit. So what you're seeing is that the whole administration is complicit in this whole cover up. So if if and when if Mueller does push some buttons, the whole thing could be coming down because it's not just 
Trump and Flynn or Trump and Flynn and somebody it's it's it's, it's a whole thing going on here and, and so that's what's interesting to me and and Comey has you know nothing to lose from a standpoint he's already been fired he's already been disgraced and he's going to get his his you know he got his two cents in and I think that that's the first I think this is the first domino uh, and it might take a while we've talked about this on the show pr- prior but I think that this is the first domino uh, in the beginning of the end of, of this presidency what's been interesting for me is conservatives are you know by and large they are very pro law enforcement they're very supportive of law enforcement in all capacities local police sheriff FBI, federal agents, they're so supportive. You know, we never can really question them whenever there's a questionable shooting of a minority. We're always supposed to take, you know, the policemen at at their word unless we have them on camera actually, you know, committing some type of crime. We're always supposed to take their word. So just to see some of Trump's supporters now, you know, they try to question the integrity of of Comey. Keep in mind, Comey is a Republican appointed uh, director. He came up in the Bush administration uh, and he left, you know, he stayed on under Obama. But I just think it's been extraordinary to see how, you know, all of a sudden now it's OK to call, you know, our federal law enforcement agency a bunch of liars and and how they're politicizing things. So that part also has been fascinating to me. Uh, but Oh, this whole administration, man, continues to be fascinating. What isn't fascinating about this administration? Somebody told me they stopped watching House of Cards, Frank, because it became too unrealistic with all the many scandals that President Underwood had. And I'm like, yo, this is real life now. It's playing out. I mean, every week we got something, man. Uh, so while we were going, man, it was uh, there were what, two terrorist attacks? I know we had one. In Paris, where the men, they uh, pulled up in a van and they just got out and began stabbing people. Uh, These terror attacks seem to be ramping back up again. And this is my fear because, uh, again, your president kind of alluded to this uh, where he said things like, you notice that no one's talking about guns because they use knives. This is why we need the travel ban, things like that. My fear is when people are afraid. They are willing to give up so many freedoms that they have. And I can see an administration like this one take advantage of that and convince the public to do all the things that they want to do to so-called keep this country safe from uh, from terrorists. My question to you is, will we ever change how we fight terrorism? This has been going on since, you know, under the Bush administration, I think 2002, right after the 9-11 attacks. We began calling it the war on terrorism and we're we're fighting it from a just drop bombs and, and hope we kill them all standpoint instead of looking at a, a, a larger a larger picture. You know, when you kill when you bomb and kill people over here in these countries, all you're doing is creating more enemies. When you kill the family members of, 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 of little boys and girls over there, they grow up. They remember that they become terrorists is how they're able to sell it over there. Will we ever change the way we fight? terrorism uh when it comes to this country and and how we how we battle isis and al-qaeda well we don't hear about al-qaeda much but do you ever see us changing course on how we fight them not really uh, because the ideology of america has always been everybody who's not in the 
how would you say in the ruling class of people whether it be black people in this case terrorism or whatever it is whoever is basically not a white male so to speak is is what i refer to as an ant right so let's say you have ant hills in your yard we've all had them at some point and there's a couple ways to get rid of them you can use rice you can use you know pesticides you can just kick it over but you don't really think too much about the ants in inside the anthill whatever way you got rid of them right you don't think anything of it because they're a pest to you and you get rid of them so when you treat these problems like especially like terrorism like an anthill like we're just going to blow up this anthill and you know hope we kill the queen ant or whatever it is you're not understanding that these there are people with an ideology and understanding like these people are no less equal than we are i think that's that's part of the problem is we're not viewing these people as our equal they might have different views but just because somebody has different views as you doesn't mean they're not your equal as a, as a human being and we are saying well it's okay if, if a bunch of people who are in another country who don't look like you know americans or who don't you know or muslim or whatever it is if they get killed collateral damage as long as we get the bad guys and we're safe that's all that matters and I think that is the fundamental problem. TSA, uh, the agency that's in charge of screening us uh, as we board our planes, the new director has already said that they're going to be soon banning. Well, not banning. Let me let me let me. I'm getting ahead of myself. They're going to be soon requiring everyone to remove electronic all electronics that are larger than a cell phone out of your bag and place it in a separate bin. We already do that with our laptop computers. But now if you have a Kindle or I guess a portable DVD player, anything larger than a cell phone is going to have to come out your bag. But they're going to they're thinking about going a step further because some uh, countries have already begun this to where you won't be able to travel with an electronic larger than uh, a cell phone. It'll have to go in your check bag. I'm sorry. So you, you'll be able to travel with it, but it have to go in your check baggage. So I just wonder how far are we going to go? Because, you know, if you go, if you've flown anywhere, it's all it's already like we got body scans now and all of that. Do you envision a, a day when, you know, if we have enough terrorism attacks around the world, do you envision a day when we we won't be able to fly with anything? Just come as you are. Check everything that you're taking. It has to go and check baggage and the only thing you need to have in your hand is your ID and boarding pass. Do you think America will ever go that far when it comes to uh, traveling? I think it's totally possible. I mean, you think about different movies you've seen where there has been this dystopian future where things happen and there's a almost a police state where I can, you know, I can see where people have to wear a certain uniform to be able to fly. You got to wear khaki pants, you know, knee high white polo shirt or T-shirt. Uh, open toe shoes and wow. you know uh, a, a belt can't be a metal buckle you know yeah you, you know I mean I can see those things happening because people are not willing to confront the demon inside them which is basically the evil that the, we claim all these terrorists have and do we all have in all of us right and so we look at them and we say oh they're so bad this and that but we drop bombs and we kill their children and we begat the same violence on 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 them that they do on us so how are we any different and i'm not in a, and somebody might listen to this and say oh am i an apologist for terrorists no and i and am i against our government um taking action to protect the nation no i'm not but i'm also understanding of the fact that some of the operations that have been done have have have, have not been as effective and have been careless and and so i just think that 
it, yes, we could get to a place where it's so locked down and the terrorists really have one when that happens, when you have that kind of thing where you can't travel with anything except for, you know, if you're probably a nursing mom, you know, the breast breast milk, right? That's it. That's all you can maybe travel with. And maybe not even then. Maybe they'll be like, you have to pump it at, at the actual, um, you know, once you get through, you can pump it, you know, type of thing. I mean, I, I can see a number of things happening just because the world right now is in such a crazy, chaotic place and people are so impressionable and people aren't reading. People don't have the same capacity for thought that they used to. So I can see anything happening like that. So, I mean, do I think it's going to happen in the next couple of years? Not exactly. But if you look up and just 2035 and we're all like having to wear a certain uniform to fly, you heard it here first on Quickly Entertaining. I certainly don't doubt you after that Bill O'Reilly prediction. Um, it's it's just it's scary to think that it could come to that. But uh we may be headed down that road. We're going to talk to you, Nina Robinson. And if you care anything about education and, and how to fix it, this is an interview for you. She doesn't give like the usual typical answers that you may hear from uh, elected officials. She gives some very detailed answers to the questions that we pose to her. So check it out and uh, we'll, we'll speak with you on the other side. Listen up. It's time for a politically entertaining exclusive interview. Joining us today, she's a professor at Letourneau University. She's also an editor and an alumni of the Horn Bullfrogs TCU Texas Christian University. Yanita Robinson, I want to thank you for making time for us today. You're quite welcome, and I'm gonna have to correct you. TCU is just horn frogs. We are not horn. It's not bullfrogs. Horn frogs. Okay. Sorry it's about just that. Horn frogs. Yes. Okay. Well, it's it's nothing like the Florida State Seminole, so you know I, I didn't quite. <laughs> I'm just messing yeah, with you. Yeah. See, we're different. We're different than a bullfrog because see, horn frogs, horn frogs can actually shoot blood out of their eyes. So we are totally different from bullfrogs. Bullfrogs okay, can do what we can do. <laughs> sorry about that, folks. Horn frogs. Uh, this. This first question I have for you, Yanina, you may or may not know the answer to it, but I wanted to get, uh, I guess, to the best of ability how you can answer it. Uh, we all know about what happened to Betsy DeVos at Beth Bethune-Cookman with the students uh, booing her. Uh, Notre Dame students turned their back on the vice president. And even, I think, a couple of months ago at Auburn University, they had uh, a controversial figure come speak there, and the students uh, protested that. My question for you is, how much freedom do uh, professors have on campus? Like, if someone came to your campus that was controversial that you, like, vehemently were against, would you would you be allowed to participate in the protests, or is that strictly off limits? Because I always see students doing these type of things, but I never see uh, any professors joining in. So is that something that you guys are allowed to do? And would you do it? Say, like, if a Bill Maher, who's a known uh, atheists were to come to your Christian university. Is that something that you would partake in? Um, okay, so well, let me clarify just a little bit because I'm, I'm an adjunct professor at Laterno, but my nine to five is a high school English teacher. Um, okay. So um, I kind of have the best of both worlds, if you will. Um, from as far as uh, on the the university side, um, 
I honestly don't think that Letourneau would invite a controversial speaker, um, someone who conflicted with a Christian point of view. Um, politically, I can't, I wouldn't, you know, I don't know because I see a lot of Christian ministers um, on the side of the president now. Um, when I dare say, I mean, it's, you know, going down racial lines. Um, but as far as someone who the university would invite that would conflict with Christian points of view, I don't see Laterno doing that. Just because um, I remember specifically an incident one day um, I'd mentioned or alluded in, in class, and this was when a supervisor was observing me that day, I alluded that I was going to happy hour. And afterwards she pulled me to the side and told me, you know, that wasn't a good idea to say that. I don't even drink. Um, so I was just kind of go- saying I was going just to be there, you know, hang out after work or what have you. But just the idea that I would go to, you know, a, a restaurant specifically to drink was frowned upon. So I don't see that, that university inviting um, someone who conflicted with Christian values. However, um, I've never felt like they or the public school where I teach would um, discipline me, per se, if I didn't attend. Um, And I'll give you a case in point. So at the high school where I teach, um, one of the fundraiser activities that they have for the seniors is called the Woman List Pageant. So basically, it is a drag show in which the high school boys participate and dress up as women, um, and they use it as a fundraiser. So, of course, the school charges admission in, in order to get into the show. The teachers are required to go to the auditorium, go to the event, um, to chaperone. This is my third year there. I have never seen it. Um, the first year... I opted to be the teacher to stay behind for the kids who did not pay and did not want to go to the show. Um, I forgot what I did last year, but this year, for some reason, I don't know if everyone went or what happened, but for some reason I ended up having to go and I just stood in the foyer. So I never actually went into the auditorium. I can't wait to hear Frank's opinion on that drag show. Uh, my my <laughs> next question for you is: <laughs> uh, so many times we hear uh, our schools are failing our students, and it, it's almost become like the war on drugs. How we've been fighting this war on drugs for decades now, and have barely made a dent in it. And every time a new administration comes, they have this new way on how to fix schools, yet it always seems to fare, fall short. In your opinion, uh, what is the number one reason that so many of our schools are failing our kids? Um, you know, Frank's mom and my dad actually taught together um, at our high school. And I talk to my dad often about teaching and education and everything. Um, and so he has, like Frank's mom, retired. Uh, and he has seen, you know, the good side of education when we had put a man on the moon and we were all excited and doing well. And, you know, he's recently retired within this decade. And when we've seen um, the pendulum shift, as he says, 
And one of the things that he attributes to this decline, honestly, is no child left behind. Um, you have, they put in place now this thing where they want everybody to pass. They want everybody to feel good. Um, we are stroking everybody's egos. <laughs> There's this movie, um, and it's funny because he's on trial right now so with Sydney Fortier and, and Bill Crosby called, I want to say, a piece of the action. But it was during that kind of trifecta when uh, Sidney Poitier and, and Cosby were doing movies. Sidney Poitier was talking to the group of high school kids, kind of misfit kids or whatever. Cheryl Lee Ralph was one of them. And he told them basically what they were doing was masturbating. So they were doing something that felt good but was not producing life. And that's what we are doing now with these kids. We are giving them a masturbation education. They all this stuff feels good. Everybody's passing. Everybody's numbers look good, but it's not really producing anything. These kids are not able to go out and sustain a job. They're not able to apply. In essence, what we've said that they we've taught them, they're not able to apply that. And unfortunately, the kids who are getting hurt are the minority kids, the low performing kids. Um, the kids in low socioeconomic status, because those kids who are whose parents are able to send them to better schools, um, those kids who are going to, you know, taking those AP classes, schools that do not have kids on free or reduced lunch, those kids are always do fine, always. We know that statistics show that. So the the students who this type of I this type of philosophy is hurting are the kids in minority groups both socioeconomic status, kids with learning disabilities, special ed kids, things of that nature. And it is quite unfortunate. Wow. Um, Yanina, I'm going to jump in here. This is this is Frank. And you mentioned my mom, who was affectionately known as Mrs. Turner at LaFleur. I know you uh, yes. t- took, took her class. And, you know, one of the things I, I'm really fascinated about by you is, uh, you know, I follow you on Facebook and I know you, you, you said you teach English and you I see a lot of uh, different interactions you have with the kids and you know anybody who knew my mom or took my mom for a class knew that she administered tough love so to speak in her classroom she yes. wasn't afraid to fail a kid or to get somebody told yes. as they say so to, to yes. straighten them out and you know she later had gotten you know how would you say people come back later and say thank you miss turner you know you were tough on me right. but but i needed that I see some of that in right. you. Do you, do you, are you, do you do that kind of thing? And do you have students coming back to you years later or maybe the next summer saying, you know what, Ms. Robinson, I know you were really hard on me, but that's exactly what I needed. Yes, um, I do. And, you know, when I started teaching, I was really channeling all those teachers from the floor and um, I went to Hillsdale and, and Mary B. Austin, Faith Lutheran, um, all those teachers who came before and instilled in me, I was really kind of channeling that. I wanted to be honest with my kids. I did not want to sugarcoat it um, and lie to them um, because I knew that that was not going to be effective and that was not what they needed. I have students, my Facebook page um, probably has the majority of the comments and friends that I have on my Facebook page is coming from um, a lot of my former students. It is just unreal. And I think about it. Um, it's so funny um, to think about 
the kids now, and I, I dare call them students anymore because these are like adults. One of my former students actually is a substitute teacher at the school where I, uh, I taught last year. And so I don't really want to call her a student anymore because this is a grown woman at this point. She has graduated from college. She is, you know, able to, she could be certified in teaching herself. Um, and so, you know, I'm really trying to get away from that moniker of calling her my student and her referring to me as her teacher. Um, but she and uh, actually another student, they were just on the radio yesterday, um, the Internet radio yesterday, and both of them called me their favorite student their favorite teachers. And I had another student um, a couple of weeks ago. I saw her at her sister's bridal shower. So her sister was actually not one of my students. She was one of my um, co-workers' students, but she still considers me her teacher, and she considers me and her co-worker her favorite teachers. And her sister was in my class. Her sister considers me her favorite teacher. And her sister said, and I remember her sister in class. Her name is JC. She is such a sweet young lady. She's in college right now, and she said that my class was hard, but she was excited because she said, "Miss Robinson, you were the only teacher who was able to get me to that four on my STAR essay. So for the English um, state exam, um, the the essay score, if you will, is from one to four. And she said, I kept, uh, every year I just kept getting a three, kept getting a three. You were the only teacher that was able to push me in my writing. And I was able to get a four. And now she's in nursing school. And she said her teachers and her professors are saying what a good writer she is. And she always attributes it to me. Um, and so I was very humbled when she told me that a couple of weeks ago at her sister's bridal shower. Now, do I have kids who have, um, you know, been unappreciative of my tough love? Absolutely. Um, and I just kind of shake those kids off and I just say bye and bye. That's kind of how I approach it. And after 16 years, it's done me well. Again, not that I have not had <laughs> my share of opposition, um, but I just, you know, I believe I'm doing my job unto God and not unto man. It's very interesting that you say you brought up unto God, and it's something that Byron kind of was fishing for. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and throw out the the line to see what happens on this. But <laughs> what is what I guess my thought is what inspired this idea of this womanless pageant and before you and before you before you answer that i'm going to ask you one one like a follow-on to that and then i'll just i'll let you be with that but okay so you have this womanless pageant is is that how would you say do you do you feel like that is a just a bad commentary on what is going on in the world today where we can say you know what it's okay that men are dressing up as women because oh it's a for a good cause and at an impressionable age that these young men and women both are seeing this, that could actually have a negative effects. So just I want to know your thoughts on the genesis of the idea behind it and some of the potential negative effects it could have on people who at, at that age are very impressionable because they're just coming into, say, sexual maturity as far as, you know, puberty and things like that. Right. Um I was not there when the idea was conceived, so I have no idea how they how they decided to come up with this. Um I'm, I presume that either they, you know, the person who came up with the idea wanted to be different or maybe they heard of it, heard of it at another school. Um, but I will say this. I mean, I am, and it's funny because I just posted on my Facebook page um, some rainbow shoes that I saw on Converse. Um, and I, you know, 
on top of the image, I posted that I am not a member of the LGBTQ community, but I am pretty secure in myself to still love rainbows, um, even though I'm not a member. And and I have friends who are members of the LGBTQ community and and things of that nature. So I let, you know, I let people live and I live and let live. And, and if that's what works for them, um, I try not to kind of step on their I don't want to say step on their toes. I still believe what I believe, but I let them live um, and be. However, I will say as far as the, the womanless pageant, I think that there were better ideas. I don't know. Again, I don't know when this idea was conceived, but I think that there were better ideas that could have come forth. And I say that because, you know, at the esteemed John Luzine LaFleur, Magnum High School of Communications and Arts, we had the... Um, Big Man on Campus pageant, and the first year that we had it, uh, Tyreek Jones actually won that, and Tyreek is phenomenal, and he is such a strong man, and um, he had a 4.0 GPA. I never forget that. That was like what got everybody excited. He has a 4.0 GPA, um, and he was just such a gentleman. He presented himself so well at that pageant and it was not about being a woman um, or purporting to be something that you're not per se but it was about bringing out the best that you were so those qualities that of course we at the floor value and wanted to um, esteem to me our society has enough people and not just women drag queens or anything like that Cause don't get me wrong, I, my favorite movies, I will not sit here and lie to you. My favorite movies are, um, have drag queens in them, um, Holiday Hearts and, um, The Birdcage. So, you know, let me not, you know, misrepresent myself. I do enjoy, um, the things that they bring to society, the creativity that they bring to society. But I think that it's important to, appreciate and and love you for who you are, who you came out to be um, as a man. I think that we have enough women on television twerking. We have enough women in short, tight dresses. We definitely don't need men or anybody else imitating women um, and doing that. And, 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 And I'll say this, I mean, you know, one of the reasons why I have come to enjoy, I would say, um, drag queens and things of that nature. And like I said, I don't put them down is because you do have um, Flip Wilson and you have Martin and you have Eddie Murphy and, um, and, and Dean Reigns who portrayed women dressed as drag and made us laugh. And we had a great time and part of the thing that was so funny about it is women got to laugh at themselves because who else can really make fun of a woman? You know, another woman making fun of another woman is not as funny, but when, but when someone else makes fun of you, um, you get to see yourself. And if you are completely stripped down and you get to see yourself. And so, of course, the best people to make fun of you are somebody who's totally different than you, if you will. Um, and so it's the whole drag culture aside, we need to, as a school, be focused on the values that we want to push inside and outside of the classroom. It should be no part of the school day when we are not um, pushing the values of school. And I don't think that 
portraying yourself to be something that you're not is something that we need to be pushing in school. We're talking to Yanina Robinson, high school teacher and adjunct professor at Laterno University in Longview, Texas. I want to get you out of here with this final question. Uh, one of your many positive traits that have that has been spoken about you as a teacher is your ability to communicate. Was that something that came that always came easy for you or did you learn and perfect that over time? Because not everyone can do that as far as, you know, communicate and and be able to teach the lesson in a way that students can understand and comprehend. Um, communicate. I, you know, honestly, I would say yes and no kind of came out the womb doing it. Um, ironically, when I was very little, they did not think that I was actually going to talk a lot. Uh, and then for some reason, I met the daycare, some daycare worker. I still don't know who the lady was, the daycare worker at a church, Revelation Baptist Church in Mobile. Whoever she was, shout out to her, because apparently I latched on to that lady and I have not stopped talking since. <laughs> um, and when I was in Mobile, I actually did uh, pageants in Mobile. I did uh, Miss Northside Mobile pageant and um, uh, teams on parade. And then I was also a Deltine. My senior year, I was on the Mobile Youth Council. I did oratorical contests um, from the Mobile Youth Council. Actually, I was on 10 billboards. I don't know if y'all remember that, but I was on 10 billboards my senior year with the Mobile Youth Council for Alcohol Awareness Month. And with that, we actually had to do press conferences um, for Mobile Youth Council and um, the Alcohol Awareness Month. And then actually, I went to college and majored in broadcast journalism. Um, when I was in church, when I was younger in church, I was the Sunday school secretary. I did oratorical contests in church, um, and I did not always win. And those were hard to not win. Um, but it, it taught me, you know, to persevere and endure. Um, ironically, I have an uncle who was a speech teacher here in Texas, and he is actually an award-winning speech teacher. He never coached me, though. So um, I, I guess that's why I say I guess it's kind of in my blood because he is a phenomenal speech teacher, um, and I come by it naturally. But he never, never, never coached me or anything of that nature. Um, but yeah, I'm, I have come out talking since that since I met the lady at Revelations, a Revelation Baptist Church. I've been talking ever since, and they hadn't really been able to shut me up. Um, <laughs> and as far as communicating with my students, um, you know, again, we had those teachers at LaFleur who were absolutely phenomenal and who, who dealt with us as real students. Um, Yvonne Reed Matthews uh, was phenomenal, my absolute favorite teacher. Uh, Mr. Mixon, the band teacher. These people were phenomenal, I think, in teaching us to be leaders and um, pushing us. They pushed us out front. It's an important skill to have in almost any field. So that's uh, it's great that you have that. Yanina Robinson, lover of rainbows, uh, alumni yes. of, <laughs> of horn frogs, not bulldog, not bullfrogs, horn frogs. Yes. And high yes. school teacher, editor. <laughs> And oh, also yes, uh, professor purple. at yes. Laterno <laughs> Universe. We heard you. We heard you. You bleed purple. We got it. We got it. Yes. Thank you for making yes. time for Where us. Yes, we're orange and green and bleed purple. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate you coming on, man. You are welcome. want to thank 
Yanina Robinson once again for coming on. Sorry about messing up your uh, horn frogs and, and calling them horn bulldogs. But Frank, you know what I got from this interview? Masturbation education. I thought that was a great line she said, and it, it made a whole lot of sense. Uh, it's pretty much like a, a we always call the younger generation of uh, what is it, the, the trophy kids where everybody gets a trophy. It, it reminded me of that type of answer. So I, I love how she broke that down. So uh, very, very, like I said at the top of the interview, very articulate, articulate in her answers, very detailed in her answers. Uh, what did you get from the interview? Well, it was awesome. You know, she shout out my mommy's time, you know, shout out your mom. It's always a great feeling because, you know, I, it's, my mom got so much respect at La Florida. It's great to see somebody who is now, you know, was you know, is teaching and had, you know, given some of those same principles and tenets to their students and it was, that was just great to hear. Uh, just her passion for teaching was was very good. And I know we didn't we kind of ran out of time, but you know one of the things I, I did want to ask her is just you know I think that is one of the major things that's lacking from our teachers is do they really have the passion for the number of hours and the salary that teachers get? How they they all can't be as passionate and as articulate as Yanina, and so I think that's part of an issue as well. But just just great to hear uh, her stories about education and the things that go on and teachers are really doing the most important job. I know we talk about people's legacies. We talk about Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, these guys and legacies. And those things are so trivial when you think about our children and think about those are legacies that we should care about. Like she's shaping the legacies of the our, our children, our young men and women of, of tomorrow. So those are the real heroes. And I don't want to sound corny or anything like that, but I mean, I just want to you know give her a shout and I definitely appreciate her coming on. And I hope to have her on again. Well said, brother. Uh, before we get out of here, uh, while we were going, Frank, uh, Bill Maher, I guess you could say he stepped in it. I mean, he seems to embrace controversy at times. Uh, but he was on. He had Senator Ben Sass from, I believe he's from Nebraska. And Ben Sass was discussing. Uh, I haven't seen the show. I just saw the clip. I know they were discussing something where they were doing this work in the fields. And he was like, you know, you can come work in the fields with us. And Bill Maher said, uh, no, thank you. I'm I'm a house nigger. It got an uncomfortable laugh from the senator. And I guess he felt compelled to, you know, clean that up. A couple of days later, he took to Twitter and, and tweeted uh, four different messages about it. And the audience laughed. Some people were very, very offended. Um, and some were not. A lot of people from from the people that I follow, Frank, many people were not uh, that offended. Now, this was like a few days after Kathy Lee posed a picture with a severed head, severed bloody head of Donald Trump that she had to apologize for and wound up losing her New Year's Eve gig with CNN. Uh, but like I said, with Bill Maher, the house nigger thing, I wasn't offended, but I'll say this because it takes a lot to offend me. I do think it's a word that should not be said by white people. And I know a lot of black people give him a pass because he's a liberal. And I saw comments uh, ranging from, well, Bill Maher, he gets it. It was a joke. Plus, he's a comedian, this, that and other. You know, if, if that's how you feel, that's how you feel. But how I feel, I just don't think any white person should say it. And if you're saying, hey, that's a double standard because black people say it all the time. I say to you, yeah. And I mean, there are so much larger double standards. Uh, going on in this country if that's where you want to plant your flag by all means go ahead but I just don't think 
white people should ever say that word because if if that's the case, then we have to then we're the we're we're dividing on which white people can and can't say it. And I don't have that kind of time. To make it easy for me, white people shouldn't say the word, period. I don't care if you have black friends who say it around you. I don't care if your favorite artist or Kendrick Lamar or a young young thug who used the word a lot. I just don't think you should say it. Don't say it around me. That's my advice to you. Don't say it around me. I don't care if you have black friends that tell you it's okay to say it. When you're around Byron, don't say it. Uh, But I definitely don't want to... you know, put that opinion on you. So what were your thoughts on what Bill Maher said? Were you offended? And and how did, how do you feel about, I guess, white people in general saying, because comedians usually do get a, a lot more leeway than an average entertainer. So, you know, I, I can see you leaning on the, uh, the comedian part of it, but how do you feel about all of this? I mean, honestly, it's an interesting thing. I, you know, I, I heard the clip and, I didn't, I thought, I thought it was, uh, I made me uncomfortable. It wasn't totally funny. I mean, it was kind of like, I get it. What he said, he was trying to be funny. I think it was a bad joke. That's what I think. And I think that comedians are entitled to make bad jokes because, hey, you know, everything you do can't be funny, right? Because you're a comedian. You're trying to be spur of the moment. You're trying to do something funny. I think it was, I think it was not the best joke. I don't think he should ever do it again. Um, as far as giving him a pass, I mean, he made a bad joke, right? So I give him a pass in that he thought he could say something funny. It didn't it really didn't come off like that. Don't do it again. Cool, no problem. As far as white people saying the word, I I, I don't I, honestly as I've gotten older, I try to not even say the word myself and remove. And I, don't, I don't like. I know there's a, I know there's an N-I-G-G-A, I know there's an N I G G A. I know there's an I G G R. I understand that totally, but I just want to um you know, try to get away from saying it, but I, I, I agree with you as far as white people saying it. It's like, oh my God, if, if you know, it's the same white people that are saying it. Why can't we have a white history month and they got their own word? It's like, you know what? If you want to trade places and status with us to say the N word and to give up all your privilege, I'll give you that, right? You know, that because it's not really that serious, but I just feel like most, the reason why white people, in my opinion, shouldn't say the word or I'm not comfortable with them saying is because I don't think they understand what it means. Because even if even if I don't necessarily agree with using it a lot or black people using it, we still wear that brand, right? It doesn't matter. You're still, as Tiger Woods even found out, right? You're still a nigger, right? All the time. We can't, there's some, the thing about being a black person, there's some white person somewhere, no matter how good you are, just look at LeBron James. How good is LeBron James? I know he's losing the finals. That's not, I don't want the LeBron trolls to come. I'm saying, how good is he? But he's a nigger. He's a nigger. So what I'm saying is, from that standpoint, I don't have any problem with a black person. You know, black black people can say whatever they want, whatever they want to say, and white people say that why they can't they say it? That's why, because the man who's the, been the best ambassador the NBA's probably ever seen for the last decade, champion, father, all these things, he's reduced to that word. So that's why we have a problem with the word and why people are what people are saying it. It has it has a certain power behind it. So. Uh, you know, as far as Bill Maher, I'm willing to give him a pass because it was a bad joke, but I'm not willing to, I'm certainly not willing to go on the road and say, okay, anybody can say it if they may have good intentions. Just leave leave the word alone, especially if you're a white person, because you don't know how, what it means. You don't know the, the label that we carry every day that we don't know who's looking at us as a, as just a man or as a nigger, because it's real. It's not fake. I'm not trying to mm-hmm. grandstand or anything like that. 
but that's life and so you know you don't have to worry about that so that's why you can't use the word so that's that's pretty much my take on it uh full disclosure i do use the word i do use it a lot less than i used to uh i pretty much you know say brother when i'm addressing but i still do use the word from time to time and also my question to those that gave him a pass on the fact that he gets it okay would you still be okay with it if he said it in anger if he said it uh seriously kind of like uh my man from seinfeld who who went off at the uh the laugh factory about a decade ago uh kramer so i don't think we can just lean on the fact that he's a liberal like like i say just don't say the word but I wasn't completely outraged. I try not to get outraged and offended by too much. Uh, before I turn it over to you, Frank, man, I just want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank Yanina Robinson for coming on as well. And don't forget to subscribe. We're on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, Podcast on Google Play. So check us out. Like I said, we're on there for free. Frank and I, you know, we do this for you. So, you know, check us out. Tell a friend. Subscribe. Follow us on social media. Before we get out of here, I want to recommend everybody go to our YouTube channel, Politically Entertaining. Just type it in Google, type in Politically Entertaining YouTube. Check out our interviews. We have interviews with uh, Senator Tim Scott up there. We have uh, Mr. Uh, Tim Wise, Zaza Ali, and we're posting more and more interviews from this season each day. So we would definitely check that out. Uh, again, thank you, Miss Yanita Robinson, for coming on the show. It was an honor. It was a pleasure. I'd love to have you on again. Thank you for all the listeners. We do this show for you, as Byron said. It's an honor to be able to share the news, especially in a day and age where everybody's being, you know, you don't know whose opinion you can trust because you don't know who owns what network and who's saying what, but nobody owns us. And one of the things I always say, and I have never said this to Byron even off the air, is one of the things I'm most proud of our show is that we say exactly what we think. And I want us to keep growing and get bigger, but I never want us to be in a position where ever compromise what we had to say. And that's why I'm so excited about doing the show. And that's why I love doing the show every every week or every other week when we do it. So I just want to thank you guys for listening. Again, um, continue to subscribe. Continue to tell your friends about the show. Uh, and that's it. Be blessed. And we'll see you guys soon on another episode of Politically Entertaining. Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates.